The first two chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, I'm going to begin in just a moment to read in verse 18 of chapter 1. At the Academy Awards, there's always an Oscar presented for the best supporting role to the character who has the best supporting role. If that award were given out, uh, Joseph would get it, the wife of Mary, for his part in this drama that unfolds at Bethlehem. And I'm glad that, that Matthew, really the only one of the gospel writers, really focus, focuses the um, spotlight on, on Joseph because he's often the forgotten character in the nativity. And I think it's because he really didn't do anything glamorous. He didn't come running in from the fields, you know, and play on his harp at the manger. And he wasn't one of the men who traveled at a great distance bringing precious gifts, wise men they're called. He just kind of uh, played a supporting role, did Joseph. And if you've ever looked at a nativity scene and you've seen four or five male characters there, somebody always asks, which one of those, I wonder, is Joseph? Because he's just kind of standing there. And yet there is not a man in Scripture that better, is a better example of genuine faith than Joseph now, I, 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 you notice that I said genuine faith because there are two kinds of faith. There is an artificial faith and there is a genuine faith. A casual reading of the Bible is to discover that faith is vitally important to God. But it is genuine faith that is vitally important to God. And if I were uh, the devil, I would attack man at the point of his faith because without faith it's impossible to please God. And I would try to get man to have an artificial faith, not a genuine faith, an artificial one. I wouldn't say, now you shouldn't believe. You're not going to believe that stuff, are you? I would get him to have an artificial faith and after a while his artificial faith would collapse and then he would have evidence that faith does not work. But Joseph was a man who had genuine faith. Perhaps of all the characters of the Bible, he best exemplifies what genuine faith really is. And I think there are three components to genuine faith that are marvelously illustrated in the life of Joseph. There is the word of faith, there is the work of faith, and then there is the weight of faith. The word of faith is illustrated three times in the scripture as it relates to Joseph. The first time is in verse 18. Follow with me. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. 
And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. I want to introduce to you this morning two theological terms. There is the Logos. The Logos is the mind of God revealed by God in print. Then there is the Rhema, which is H-R-E-M-A. The Rhema is the application of the, of the Logos by the Holy Spirit. It's what God says to us in the person of the Holy Spirit, and God speaks to us, you know. He has so designed us so that He could speak to us. He's given us little ears of the soul, and the believer can hear from God. God speaks to man in the, in the Holy Spirit who indwells him. As a matter of fact, that's why we don't have angels as Joseph had angels today. What, what the angel did for Joseph, the Holy Spirit does for us. Joseph didn't have the, the abiding Holy Spirit in his day, so angels, God spoke through angels to him, but he speaks to us by the abiding of the Holy Spirit and he communicates to us through the Holy Spirit his word so that the rhema, is the application of the, of the Logos by the Holy Spirit to the human heart. So when Joseph went to sleep at night, that night God spoke to him by the angel. Now if you have a pencil, I want you to write in the margin where God spoke to Joseph, you write the words Rema there, H-R-E-M-A. God speaking in the person of the angel, which is now, he'd speak to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Next morning, Joseph got up, and he was thinking to himself, I think, well, what is all of this? God spoke to me in this strange way and gave me this strange message about Mary, his, his fiance. Now, you better be careful when God speaks to you that there is some logos, some written word to substantiate that. You know, the world is full of people running around who say, God speaks to me. I mean, the splintered church is the result of people saying, God told me to do this. God said this to me. And we better be careful when we think we've heard from God. So when Joseph got up, he was thinking to himself, is there any reason to believe what I've heard tonight? And all of a sudden it dawned on him what Isaiah had said 700 years before that God was going to give a son Messiah through a virgin and his name was going to be called Emmanuel. So the rhema was substantiated by the Logos, the word of faith. The second time that is illustrated in the, is in the second chapter, verse 13. Follow with me as I read this. Now when they had departed, that is the wise men, behold an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Right out beside that statement, Ramah, God speaking to Joseph in the dream. Now when Joseph 
woke up from that kind of thing, he remembered, you know, the big worship service had just finished. The wise men had come and they'd worshiped the Lord Jesus and given him gifts. And they'd gone home and he, wake, he, he goes to bed and goes to sleep and an angel comes and says, I want you to get up and get out of here and take Jesus down to Egypt. And he's thinking to himself, now why would I, you know, I've had the big shots here from Egypt. Now why would I get up and run away when I have a bigger shot than the bigger shots? And I've got the Son of God as my Son. I'm going to have the Son of God as my Son. Is that the, the rhema was you get up and get out of here and go down to Egypt. Now look at the Logos. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Hosea might be fulfilled saying, out of Egypt did I call my son. He had this message from God that was substantiated by the written word of God written centuries before. The third illustration is found in verse 19 of chapter 2. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. You can write out in the margin, Ramah. And he arose and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel and resided in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. And he's thinking to himself, now it's time to go back to Nazareth because the prophets had said that Jesus was going to be a Nazarene and I've got to get him to Nazareth in order for that prophecy to be fulfilled. Now, in every genuine experience of faith, there is the Word of God. The rhema, God speaking to man in the person of the Holy Spirit. And that voice, that message can be validated by written scripture. Before you can have the, word of, the work of faith, you have the word of faith. Then there is the work. He said, faith without works is dead. And he goes on to say that the way you tell if the faith you have is genuine is to see if that faith is lived out in practical living and activity. A faith without action would result in this. I was hungry and you farmed humanity groups to discuss my hunger. I was in prison and you crept away to your private chapel and prayed for my release. I was naked and you debated in your mind the morality of my appearance. I was, I, was, I was lonely and you went alone to pray for me. I was homeless and you talked about the spiritual implications of the overshadowing covering of the love of God. You seem so holy and so close to God, but I'm still so very lonely and I'm still so very hungry and I'm still so very cold. You see, if your faith does not have an action, it's not genuine faith. Now watch this carefully. God came to Joseph and said, you know this girl that you're in love with, that you're going to marry? Yes, sir. He said, she's pregnant. But I want you to know that that pregnancy is the result of the miracle of God 
and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph, I want you to believe that. And Joseph said, I believe it. I believe it. And as soon as he heard the word of faith, there began to be these counter voices that came to his mind because for every, in every time when God speaks, there's always a conflicting voice. When God said to Adam and Eve, you're not to eat of this tree or you'll die, there came this conflicting voice, you'll not die. When God spoke to Jesus at his baptism and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, the next voice he heard was the voice of Satan in the wilderness saying, if you're really the son of God, why are you hungry? For every time God speaks, there is this conflicting voice. And so he was bombarded with these voices. Son of God, oh no, come on. Roman soldier. For Roman soldiers were notorious for such a thing getting Jewish girls pregnant. Nah, son of God, you're not going to believe that. Son of God, Roman soul, conceived by the Holy Spirit, Roman soldier. For you see, Mary, watch this, Mary could know immediately, at least in a matter of weeks, that she was pregnant. She could know that. And she could know that she was made pregnant by a miracle of the Holy Spirit because she could know that she had not known man. But Joseph could not know that except by faith. Now he had two choices, or three choices really. He could put her to death, he could put her away privately, or he could marry her. And I could just see them and hear them in conversation. Mary says to Joseph, Joseph, dear, I need to tell you something. I'm going to have a baby. I know it. You know it? How did you know it? God told me. Well, well, um, Joseph, let me tell you, this baby that I'm carrying in my body is, is of the Holy Spirit. I know it. You know it? How did you know it? God told me. Then comes the moment of decision and truth. Joseph, what are we going to do about it? And Joseph says, I'm going to marry you. Now we can say that we believe God, we believe His Word, but we have not believed His Word in genuine faith until we act upon that Word in obedience, you see. So the faith of Joseph became faith, not when he believed God, when God was telling him that she was going to have a baby by the Holy Spirit, but when he took her as his wife, you see. The second time that's illustrated, God came to him. He said, now, G now Joseph, I want you to get up and go down to Egypt. Take this baby and head to Egypt. Now, can you imagine what that involved? Because the Jews did not migrate toward ne Egypt naturally. They just didn't go toward Egypt naturally. So what, now watch this carefully. So what God was saying was this, I want you to do something that is totally in conflict to your natural instincts he was telling him to do something that was in direct and vital conflict to what he would do naturally. Doesn't God do that a lot? I mean, he comes to us and he says, I want you to believe this. 
and we say, I believe, all right, then this is what I want you to do. I want you to do something that is in direct conflict to every rational and logical decision of the human mind. He does that all the time. That's what makes faith, faith. Can you imagine what it was like when Joseph got ready to call his mother-in-law? I mean, what's he, where's he going to live down in Egypt? There's no Motel 6 is down there. You know, I mean, he's just going to go down to Egypt. He's going to pull into town with his U-Haul, and where's he going to stay? And what's he going to do down in Egypt? You see, I mean, is an Egyptian going to offer the first Jew that comes into town the best job? And what's he going to eat? I mean, there are no Burger Kings down there, no Sonics. Can you imagine him calling up his mother-in-law? He says, Mom, you know, wherever she was. Now, I mean, use your imagination. It's in the margin. He said, Mom, this is Joseph. Joseph, where are you? Well, we're down here in Bethlehem. When you, when you coming home so I can see my grandbaby? Well, he said, we're not coming home. You're not coming home. Where are you going? He said, we're going to Egypt. Going to Egypt? What are you going to do down there in Egypt? I don't know. Don't have a job. Can you imagine what that mother-in-law, she must have fainted. What are you going to, how are you going to feed my daughter and my grandbaby? Well, I don't know. We don't have anything to eat. Where are you going to stay? We don't have any place to stay. Well, at least you'll come by and see me before you leave. No, we got to go tonight. So here was this man of God. Listen, he's the hero of this story. He was this man of God who heard from God that he was to take his son down to Egypt to move in a way that is totally contrary to his natural instincts. Everything militated against that decision and he got up and did it because he responded in word of faith. And while they were there a little while, God said, now it's time to go back to Israel. I want you to go back to Nazareth you mean to that town where they had all those ugly things to say about me and about Mary, where they reject us? Yes, that's where I want you to go. And so in the word of faith, in the act, in the work of faith, he got his family and he went back to Nazareth. Now watch, listen carefully. There is a disease, I think, among Christian people in the modern day, and that disease is the disease of pass passivity. And these are the symptoms. You and I hear a word from God and we say we believe that and we call it faith, but it's not genuine faith. We have a word from God, but we never act on it. For example, here is a man who says, I believe that God will provide for all of my needs and take care of me as my resource. God said, I want you to believe that. And the man says, I believe it. And God says, okay, then this is what I want you to do. I want you to start tithing. And I want you to give a substantial gift to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. The guy said, I can't do that. And God said, I thought you said you believed that I would provide for your needs. And here's a person who says, as he reads Romans 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. I believe that the gospel is the power of God. God says, I want you to believe that. And the man says, I believe it. 
and God says, okay, you remember that guy that moved in in the next desk with you at your work? That, that student that you see down, new students you see walk in the halls at the university or the college or, or, the, or the high school? That person is lost. I want you to bear witness to that person tomorrow. And the person says, I can't do that, Lord. I don't know what to say. And God says, I thought you said that you believed the power of God, the gospel was the power of God unto salvation. You see, folks, the word of faith is not faith until we act upon it, until when we respond to what God says in obedience to what God says. It's not faith. It's artificial faith. Then there is the weight of faith. With every faith, there is a weight. Now, I don't know whether you've ever noticed, thought of this or not, but, but Joseph never saw the fulfillment of his promise in this life. God said to Joseph, this son that, Mary, that Mary's carrying around in her body is, made, is, is, is the Son of God by the Holy Spirit. And your child you're going to raise is the Savior of the world. And Joseph never saw the fulfillment of that promise in his life. Because the record indicates that Joseph died before Jesus ever started acting like Messiah. If you and I had seen him growing up in, in, in the little Nazareth town, he would have looked like every other righteous, godly Jewish boy. I mean, he didn't just get a piece of lumber one day and say, zap, and it turned into desks. And he didn't look over there one day and see that they were out of nails and they had to do a quick job in the carpenter shop and he just kind of went zap and it was full of nails again. He, he didn't do that stuff. He just acted like any other little, any other young Jewish boy growing up in a righteous and godly home. And Joseph died before he ever acted like Messiah. And one day from the battlements of heaven, Joseph must have looked over and he saw uh, Jesus getting ready to leave home. And Joseph said to himself, now, you know, use your imagination a little bit. He said, I wonder where Jesus is going. He's looking down from the battlements of heaven and Jesus goes out and he sees him out there by the Jordan River and that dove come down and Joseph claps his hands and shouts hallelujah for he sees for the first time the fulfillment of God's promise. Now the point is this. There are a lot of things that God will promise you that you will never see fulfilled in this life. That's why genuine faith always has a weight. And if you don't believe that, you read sometime this passage of Scripture from the 11th chapter of Hebrews. After he describes the great, calls this great roll call of the faithful, he said, And all these died in faith without receiving the promises but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, and all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised. Now he doesn't mean that they never got the promise, that God didn't deliver on His promise. He was saying that they never experienced in this life the experience of seeing God's fulfillment. 
That'll happen to some of us. How long have you waited for your kids to come back? How long have you waited for revival to come? How long have you waited for a reconciliation of a broken marriage? Now this did not happen. I'm using this as a hypothetical illustration, but I said in the morning service, I don't want that little you know, telephone circle that operates here in Durant, you know, three months from now to get on the telephone and say and, and talk to, <laughs> that this actually happened. It did not happen, but I want to use this hypothetical illustration. Suppose God called my son to be a preacher. God told me, he said, Gerald, I'm going to call old Todd. Now, if you know Todd, you know that's not happening. I mean, I mean you know that. God, God, God said to me, he said, Todd, I'm going to call Todd to be a preacher. And I said, well, wonderful. Just, you know, praise the Lord. Well, Todd comes to me and he said, Dad, he says, uh, I, I'm planning on going to Baylor. I said, well, great, son. I'm thinking of myself. He gets down there to Baylor and God will call him to preach down there at Baylor. He gets down to Baylor and he gets into communications and he has a marvelous time. He's doing well. I'm thinking to myself, I wonder when God's going to call him to preach. He gets out of college and he says, Dad, I got me a good job up there in Dallas in the television station up there. And I'm thinking to myself, not far from Fort Worth, not far from the seminary. God's moving him up there to Dallas so he can commute to seminary. So I'm waiting for Todd to tell me he's been called to preach. Doesn't happen. Gets married, has five kids. On the fifth kid, he's talking with me. And I say, son, anything happening to you exciting? He says, well, I got the fifth kid. That's pretty, you know, pretty exciting. I'm thinking to myself, now, it's going to be pretty hard to, you know, go to seminary and start preaching with wife and five kids, but bound to happen. I have a heart attack. I'm on my deathbed. Todd comes in. I'm thinking to myself, Todd's going to break the news. Dad, just before I, you know, die, he's going to tell me, he said, Dad, God called me to preach. He comes in and said, Dad, I want to tell you goodbye. You, you know, you've been a good father and just want to say so long, you know. And so uh, I, I, I die. And, you know, and, and if I've got the weight of faith, W-A-I-T, I can die with a smile on my face knowing that sometime from the battlements of heaven I'm going to look over the side and see Todd be a preacher. You believe that? There are a lot of things God's going to tell you that are substantiated by the Logos. And you're going to get up just like Abraham. You know what God told Abraham? He said, I'm going to give you a city, permanent city you're going to dwell in, not made with hands if you'll get up and leave this place. And he got up and took off not knowing where he was going. And you know what he did? He spent the rest of his life in a tent and God said, I'm going to give you a city. You get up, you leave here. I'm going to give you a city not made with hands. And he responded to the word of faith with the work of faith. And then came the weight of faith. And he never saw the fulfillment of that promise except from God's glory. Well, you see, every faith has a weight. And if your faith poops out, it's not genuine. I need to say that again. If your faith poops out under pressure, it's not genuine faith. You see, there is a faith 
Then there is a prevailing faith, the Bible says. There's an illustration of that prevailing faith. If you'll listen to this, I'll quit. And Jairus came to Jesus, drawn by faith to Jesus because his daughter was dying. And it took a tremendous amount of faith for Jairus to come to Jesus because he was chairman of the board of the synagogue and Jesus had already gotten in trouble at the synagogue for healing on the Sabbath and it was a pretty big, bold, courageous act of faith for him to come to Jesus in the first place. And he comes to Jesus in faith and says, "Can I need you to heal my daughter. And Jesus started on the way to heal Jairus' daughter. And then came the interruption. A woman with an issue of blood came into the press and touched Jesus' garment and there was this delay. God ever put you on hold? I've called him up a lot of times. It seemed like he just put me on hold. And I'm watching everybody else get everything they ask for and while I'm on hold there. God ever seem, and when Jairus was all nervous and restless, God said, Jesus said to him, watch this, he said, don't doubt only believe. Now you read that in the Greek translation and it says this, don't doubt, keep on believing. I mean, get into the second wind of faith. Move into the prevailing faith that will wait. In the face of delay, keep on believing. About that time some people came from Jairus' house and said, no use to go any further, your child died a while ago. And, God, and Jesus said to Jairus, keep on believing when there's no reason for you to believe except my word. And when they got to Jairus' house, when he got to his house, the mourners were there and Jesus put them outside and said, this little girl is not dead, she's just sleeping. And everybody laughed. And Jesus said, keep on believing when nobody else believes and you have to stand alone in your faith. That's prevailing faith. That's a faith that waits. It's a faith that waits in the face of delay when there's no reason to keep on believing except we have His Word and nobody else believes but us. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you have that kind of faith? If you don't have that kind of faith, your faith is artificial and under the test, it'll fail you. It'll fail you. Now this is our Lord's birthday and I want to offer Him the very best gift and there is no better gift to offer Him than an unfeigned faith. That is a faith that takes God's Word and acts on it and just rejoices in hope and endurance knowing that God cannot fail and God will make true His promise even if it's after I die. Let's pray together. Father, there's nothing any more exciting than to be where the rhema and the logos are being spoken. And there's nothing any better to do than the work of faith. But Father, I confess that the weight of faith is difficult. Give us this morning the kind of faith that will not only hear from you, but will act upon what we hear. And then in endurance and hope and trust, rejoice knowing 
that it's all going to be just like you said it would be. Give us that faith that pleases you, and we'll give it back to you as a gift. In Jesus' name. Now, there are three invitations. Listen carefully. The first invitation this morning is for you to make a decision that runs contrary to the natural instinct. And that decision is to surrender your life to someone that you cannot see. Jesus said to Thomas, Blessed are you, you see and believe, but more blessed are those who believe and never see. There is a Savior this morning for your sins. You can't see Him. And the natural instinct and the natural inclination is to believe only what you can prove materially. I'm going to ask you this morning to place your faith in Jesus Christ and act in obedience to Him in trust that runs contrary to everything rational. The second invitation this morning is for you to act upon the word of faith. That is, God has said to you, I want you to do a specific thing and you've not yet done it. Maybe it's join this church. Maybe it's to join EE and become a witness, to teach a Sunday school class. God has told you this is something you do and you can only do it by faith. It's not faith until you do it. Or this morning to come and say, my faith is really not genuine. It doesn't stand the test. It gives out when the going gets tough. I want to come in word, in the word of faith, to surrender my life anew and afresh to God in submission and surrender to Him. These are the invitations. And there are those of you who are coming this morning on the very first stanza. It'll be better, easier, it'll be greater if you come on the first word while we stand, you come.